0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we believe that you are really, truly present here. And we just want to be where you are. We thank you for wanting to prolong your real presence throughout time, throughout all of time, through the Blessed Sacrament Through the priesthood, Lord, please increase our faith in your real presence. Help us to open up our hearts and our minds and our bodies to receive you today, Lord, in spirit and in truth. We believe that you want to speak to our hearts today, Lord, heart to heart, we ask for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit that your grace, your power, and your presence, your grace and mercy would flow into our hearts from your heart, from your pure side, from which flowed that living water and that precious blood as you hung on the cross. So may it wash over us today and cleanse us, and refresh us, and fill us with hope. Jesus, we're asking today especially for an increase of hope. Hope in you. Hope in your promises. Trust in you. Trust in your mercy. Trust in your providence. Trust in your kingship, in your lordship, over our lives, and over history. We believe that you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. And we pray for your peace, Jesus, to fill our hearts today. We pray that you would make us instruments of your peace as we gather here around you, our Good Shepherd. Mother Mary, we invite you to be here in our midst. We ask you to intercede for us in a special way today. And we crown you the queen of our mini-retreat as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning to all of you once again. Today's liturgy, the readings for the Mass, is very rich, and I did not want to wait until the homily to reflect on it with you, so I'm going to use the first reading And the psalm, especially, during our reflection. And then perhaps we could leave the gospel for the homily. So the first reading, some of you have your Magnificat or whatever. Uh, It's St. Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. St. Paul's letter to Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Paul writes, Beloved, remind them to be under the control of magistrates and authorities, to be obedient, to be open to every good enterprise. They are to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, exercising all graciousness toward everyone. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deluded, slaves to various desires and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful ourselves, and hating one another. That's not a very pretty picture, is it? (laughs) Sounds familiar, you know? We can all relate to that on some level. Paul is usually very good about just calling it like it is. But, he says, when the kindness and generous love of God God, our Savior, appeared not because of any righteous deeds we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the bath of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. So he's starting off contrasting that opening couple sentences, that opening paragraph, which was very dark and gloomy, And rather, hopeless, he brings in the remedy, he brings in the hope, by saying, when the kindness and generous love of God, our Savior, appeared. So this is like Kerygma 101, for those of you who have been to Cindy Carter's class, on the Kerygma, the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the good news, that's what they call the Kerygma, Greek word that means to proclaim and to preach, and It's what we refer to, uh, it's how we refer to the apostles and how they first preached the charisma, this good news. And it was precisely saying, look, yeah, humanity was in a bad place, in a rather hopeless place. But then God sent his son. In kindness, in generous love, God appeared. I mean, he first appeared as a baby, right? He came so humble, so poor and needy in so many ways, in every way, really. He chose to come on the scene like that. He chose to save us that way. And that just says so much about God. And, and I know it's just, you know, over the horizon, Christmas. In fact, I had somebody text me already this morning. Can I start decorating my house for Christmas? <laughs> I said, go ahead. (laughs) She's like, today. (laughs) So go ahead, you know. If that's going to help you stay hopeful, then yeah, go for it. As a reminder that in the midst of all of this craziness, God is still with us. And, you know, uh, when he came, he he chose to come in, in such a way that was so inviting, not intimidating. Who's intimidated by a little baby, right? But on the contrary, we're, we're drawn to babies, especially moms, right? You're drawn to babies. And that's, I think that's something today that we can reflect on. And as, as we look forward to Christmas, we can make this a particular petition that the Lord would as I like to say, restore and perfect the image that we have of him. Because the image that we have of God will necessarily impact and greatly influence the image that we have of ourselves. The image that you have of yourself. The image that you have of God is necessarily going to influence the image that you have of yourself. You know, maybe you've never made that connection. And sure, there's a lot of things that we would say of God with our heads. But when push comes to shove, you know, when the rubber meets the road, we may not necessarily believe them with our hearts. Maybe we haven't really experienced it with our hearts. And so therefore, we still tend to strive to earn God's love, to be good, to do good to get God's attention. We tend to be hard on ourselves. We tend to be hard on each other. Because I think on on some level, we believe that God is hard on us. That God is so demanding. But as we continue to unpack this one long sentence by St. Paul today, we discover this Beautiful image of God who took the initiative to save us. You've heard me say that a lot that God is the protagonist. God wanted to save us. It's not like He was up there in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, do you think we should save them? You know, do you think it's really worth it? I mean, really? They're so hard headed, they're so hard hearted. You know, they're so ungrateful. I mean, really? Like, what's in it for us? And really, there was nothing in it for them. When you think about it, there's nothing really in it for God. But, as Paul says, because of his kindness and generosity and mercy, not because, as it goes on here, of any righteous deeds we had done, But because of his mercy, he saved us through the bath of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So the bath of rebirth is our baptism. So there's a little reminder of our identity. That we are now new creatures, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, children of God. So that's who we are now. And we've, we've all heard that and we sing the songs and... (laughs) but more and more we just have to let that sink in and, and soak in and allow that to heal us. You know, that is a truth that can definitely heal our wounds. We all have identity wounds. Let's face it. We all get beat up and knocked around in this life. And, you know, the enemy, the devil, he knows how to poke at us and get a reaction out of us. He knows how to try to discourage us and lead us into despair and hopelessness, confusion, division, right? We got a lot of that going around today. He loves that. But the Lord is trying to unite us to himself. He's trying to draw us to himself. And I think that's one of the main reasons why he chose to be born a baby. He chose to come on the scene, so to speak, as an infant, a newborn. So that we could see that he wasn't interested in having us follow him out of fear He was not interested in having us follow him out of fear. And fear speaks to striving and uh, restlessness and shame, guilt. That's not very attractive. So he wanted us to know that he prefers to have us approach him with trust, with confidence. With love. So he richly poured out on us the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Speaking of the Father. So, just as the Holy Family was there in Bethlehem, Joseph, Mary, baby Jesus, and as they continued to live together, they were imaging for us the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. When John Paul was developing his Theology of the Body, he definitely pointed out that the family and, and marriage and, and children, husband, wife, children, that is an icon, he would say, of the inner life of the Trinity. So as we look at the Holy Family, it's like the Trinity incarnate, so to speak, an incarnate, incarnated kind of icon, if you will. But just imagine that for a mo- for a moment. Somebody shared with me recently a little statue that they bought and it's Joseph cradling Mary who's cradling Jesus. Joseph cradling Mary cradling Jesus, you know, so it's just the three of them all united in love and peace and, and rest, you know, they're just resting. And that's how the Father holds the Son, and the Son and the Holy Spirit are are cradling us through our baptism. They're bringing us into that embrace of the Father. They want us to feel safe here. God wants us to feel safe and wanted, known, delighted in, he wants us to have that kind of perfect union and communion with him. But he knows that's not easy, he knows that takes work, because we all bring our our lives, we bring our story to the Lord, and, and sometimes there are parts of that story that we struggle with. I was talking to a survivor of clergy sexual abuse yesterday. She's in Raymond Christie now. She lives in Arizona. And she gave her testimony to all legionaries uh, via Zoom on Monday. And we heard two other testimonies as well in an effort to just increase our ability to minister to survivors and just have more of a Understanding of what they go through, and she talked about how she basically buried that abuse that she suffered for pretty much over two decades, and then finally, uh, you know, after she was married and had her kids, and she she started to face it, and even after that, even after she got over the really big hump, you might say, you know, after she climbed that mountain, really. She said, you know, there was more as I continued to reflect on my sacred story. That's what she called it. I guess there's some book that she used, written by... I'll have to find the title for you. But it was essentially the spiritual exercises um, extended over 40 weeks. Written by a Jesuit. And so she said as She was invited to write down 10 blessed memories and then 10 difficult memories. The Lord really spoke to her. She was in a safe place, but as she was really invited to be very specific about 10 blessings and 10 difficulties, painful memories, the Lord continued to bring things to the light. And, and it was very healing. So it's, it's a process. And she said, you know, I'll probably be at, be at this until the day I go to heaven, you know. But the Lord is, is so willing and ready to meet us there. He's never ashamed of us. He's never ashamed of our story. He knows it better than we do. Right? Jesus knows our story better than we do. And he has such great compassion on us all along the way. And as I, I got to preach the homily to my, so we watched it in community, and we had agreed ahead of time to celebrate Mass right after listening to these three different testimonies that took about five hours. So you can imagine all that input for five hours. you know. Uh, and even though they didn't go into any kind of horrific detail, still, you know, the gist of it is bad enough. So we brought that to Mass, and I had volunteered ahead of time to preach the homily. And it was the Feast of St. John Lateran on Monday. Uh, And we were joking, who's St. John Lateran? (laughs) Well, he's not a saint. It's the name of the family that built the church. It's dedicated to St. John the the evangelist, and St. John the Baptist in Rome. It's actually the cathedral in Rome. I'm sure if some of you have been there. So, but it's considered the head and mother of all churches, St. John's in Rome. And the gospel we read is when Jesus goes in to cleanse the temple. And, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the money changers, they're like, who do you think you are? What authority do you have to do this? And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. And of course, you know, they didn't realize what he was talking about. St. John comments that he was talking about his body, but they didn't get that in the moment. And so I said in my very brief homily, Jesus, not only did he choose to become a man, but he he chose to embrace the cross, destroy this body. And he knew exactly what he was saying. And he freely embraced that out of love for us. Because he knew that throughout the history of humanity, so many people, really all of us in one way or another, are destroyed, are are broken down, you could say, because of sin. Not just our own sin, but because of the sin of other people. And it's just a vicious cycle, right? And Jesus wanted to come, and by his death on the cross, he's like, enough, enough. Pope Benedict, I think, commented on the limit of evil. There is a limit, and it's, it's the cross. You know, think about it. Now, in light of the fact that there's pain and suffering in the world, death is a kind of mercy, right? There's a limit, At some point, we all get to die and go home to the Father's house and live in paradise. I mean, we have to ask God to help us cultivate that kind of mindset. We're not living for this world, it's a valley of tears. And as somebody in this room shared with me recently, Father, it's not really getting any easier. It's not really getting any easier. And, yeah. But we're called to have hope. Listen to how Paul finishes. Let me back up a little bit again just to give us the context. So, when the kindness and generous love of God, our Savior, appeared... Not because of any righteous deeds we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us through the bath of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he richly poured out on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by his grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. There's a man who had a very supernatural vision of his life. And he was justified not by his actions, not by his good deeds. He was justified by grace. In other words, he was made right with God by God. So again, sometimes that's it's a shift for us, I think. You know, I've talked about this a lot, but I, I think it's so important. In order for us to have the freedom that God wants us to have in our relationship with him and in our, in our relationship with others, we have to remember that it's, it's God who has made us right with Himself, by Himself, and through Himself. God has done that. And that's all His grace. There's Father Thomas. Welcome, Father Thomas. If anybody wants to. Can you hear confessions? Yeah, right here in this room here until about 5 to 10. Thank you. Okay. All right, I'm. Almost finished here. So, God justifies us by himself, through himself. The Father justifies us through the Son in the Spirit. So there's our Trinitarian worldview. (laughs) Let's ask the Lord to help us cultivate this Trinitarian worldview. Which reminds us that we're called to live in communion with God and with one another. We're called to live in communion with God and with with one another in time and for eternal life, for eternity. So we've become heirs in hope of eternal life. There's our Trinitarian worldview. And we need to remind each other of this. That the Trinitarian worldview says we're called to live in communion with God and with one another. And marriage and family is a reminder of that. It's, it points us to that ultimate reality. But we know that this side of heaven, it's not going to be without tears and blood and sweat. So the psalm is one we're all familiar with. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In verdant pastures, he gives me repose. Beside restful waters, he leads me. He refreshes my soul. How beautiful is that? Again, Talk about helping us to restore our image of God. Psalm 23 can help us restore and perfect our image of God, Jesus the Good Shepherd. And we even have some verdant pastures here behind us to help us. So you can even imagine Jesus just hanging out there on the grass about 20 degrees warmer, but the sun is shining and Jesus is out there, nice blanket, maybe your favorite glass of wine, you know, nice warm bread, some real butter, Kerry Gold from Ireland, in case you're wondering. <laughs> he gives me repose beside restful waters, He leads me. He refreshes my soul. Repose, restful, refreshes. Three beautiful R words. Maybe you just want to take those three words. Repose, restful, and refreshes. That's what God wants to give us. That doesn't sound like striving. That doesn't sound like being hard on yourself. That doesn't sound like shame. Doesn't sound like guilt. Doesn't sound like hopelessness. It goes on. He guides me in right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk in the dark valley, I fear no evil. For you are at my side with your rod and your staff that give me courage. Give me courage. Remember the word courage comes from the Latin cor, C-O-R, which means heart. So if we are encouraged, if we have courage, that means our hearts are full of strength and hope and determination God wants to give us that. Let's ask for that today, too. Lord, give us courage. Please encourage us today. Show us the way. You are the way, the truth, and the life. He came that we may have life and have it abundantly. John 10, 10. And Psalm 23 echoes that right here. You spread the table before me in the sight of my foes. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What does that speak to? Abundance, right? Fullness. My cup overflows. And then it finishes... Only goodness and kindness follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for years to come. In other words, Jesus, divine mercy... Not only does he lead me, but he's following me. As I said, he's following your story. He knows your story, right? He's been following your story since the day he created you. He's been following you. (laughs) On Instagram, no. How many followers does Jesus have? Well, he, he follows everybody. He's following everybody. He's following you. With great interest, with goodness and kindness, he is following you. In other words, he's seeing your ups and downs, your good times and bad, through this lens of his providence, which is always good and kind, even if it is painful and difficult at times. But as it says in Romans 8.28, he can work for good all all things, right? everything for those who love God. So as we continue our time here before the Lord, the good shepherd, let's just pray for this peace to come upon us, his peace And let's ask him to fill us with hope. Hope in a, in a truth that we know is real and that is for us, that God wants for us. Don't believe that lie that it's not for you. Because we all know the enemy loves to trumpet those lies. Let's bring those lies to the Lord today. Whatever anxious thought you have, whatever fearful thought you have, whatever shameful thought you may have, I can assure you that doesn't come from God. That is not the Holy Spirit. That you're not good enough, that it's hopeless, you know, any kind of confusion, doubting, fearful thoughts, those just don't come from God. And not that you have to know exactly where they come from today, but just ask the Lord for His truth today, a little bit more of His truth, His goodness, His beauty to shine in your heart and in your mind. We ask you, Lord, to renew our minds. That is, to fill us with your truth, which sets us free, which helps us to know you and to know ourselves, our true identity, and to be firmly rooted and grounded in that. So God is not here to punish you. He's not here to drive you in some neurotic way. He doesn't want you to be hard on yourself. He doesn't want you to be hard on your spouse or on your kids. He just invites you to fix your eyes on him and to allow him to speak to your hearts today and to love on you, to comfort you. Remember, we're called to live in communion with God and one another. He wants to make you feel safe today, loved, wanted. He wants you to know that you belong here. That he absolutely welcomes you to be here and relishes this opportunity to bless you today.